John chapter 6, verse number 60. By God's grace, this will be, um, with the Lord's help, this will be the last sermon through John chapter 6 as we continue in our series. We've covered some pretty deep waters, and we're going to hit some review over that, but there's a reason why the Bible is deep. There's a reason why the Bible is spiritual, because it's dealing with the heart. And so when Jesus Christ deals with the heart, you're going to make a decision one way or the other. When God's Word deals with your heart, you're going to make a decision one way or the other, and that's what our text is dealing with this morning. John chapter 6, verse number 60. The Bible says, Many therefore of His disciples, when they had heard this, all the teaching on drinking the bread, or drinking the blood, eating the bread, eating the flesh of Jesus, all of those uh, sayings, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, Doth this offend you? Does this trip you up? Does this cause problems? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where He was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, and he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time... Many of his disciples walked back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe in our sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. The title this morning is this, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you once again, and Lord, I need your help. Lord, without you, Lord, it's, the sermon needs to be pointing others to you. Lord, this is your word, and I pray that you would speak to us from your word and help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Once you've had the real thing, it's really hard to be satisfied with the fake thing. Okay? Once you've had the real thing, it's kind of hard to be satisfied or fooled by the fake thing. All right? I grew up in New York City. As if you've been here, you know that. All right? I grew up in New York City. And what is one thing that New York City is famous for? Well, many things. How about pizza? Okay? The, the iconic New York slice. 
Uh, some, and, and in New York City, you know it's the good pizza place when they got the Italian guy in the back with the bottle of olive oil in the mixer, and he's squirting that in, making the dough in the back. And I've seen, uh, uh, there's some good pizza in New York. Well, I had the trial of going to school in Oklahoma. And all my, all my college buddies were going, we're having Papa John's, this is so exciting. We're having Little Caesars. And I'm like, it's cheese bread, guys. It's not pizza. It, 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 it's not going to kill you, but that's not pizza. And I'm not trying to embarrass Miss Jessie at all. But Miss Jessie and her family grew up in Little Caesars. And so I was so excited to be able to introduce her to New York pizza. Uh, come on, come on, honey. This is the real stuff. This is the good stuff. She still likes Little Caesars. And the biggest thing for her, okay, in her defense, the biggest thing is for it. She's like, it's hard for me to, I mean, it's better. Yes, it's good. But I can buy a Little Caesars for $5. I can get one slice of New York pizza for $5. Do I want one slice of pizza, or do I want me and my other siblings to uh, be able to get a whole pizza? And, okay. They are, there are some people who don't want to change. There are some people who don't want to learn a new taste. For some people, it's not worth the cost. They go, I'm good with this. I, I know this is supposed to be better, but I really don't want the cost that's involved with that. I really don't want the ability, I don't want, I'm okay with this. You know, it really doesn't bother me. In pizza, that's fine. Okay, even though it breaks my heart. In pizza, that's fine. In discipleship, that's not. In following Jesus, it's not. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here in our text. Okay, there is, he has, he has preached to the multitude, and the multitude has eaten of the loaves. And then they came excitedly to him, right? They came across the, uh, the Sea of Galilee the night before they had been ready to crown the Messiah, Jesus as the king. They were ready to start the earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ, whether he wanted to or not. He said, this is not my Father's will. I'm not participating in this. Jesus walked across the sea and He went with His disciples back. They came excitedly seeking Him. But they, Jesus knew exactly what they were coming for. If you've been with us, you know this. They, they were looking for full bellies. Jesus said, you're not here because you saw the miracles. You're here because you ate some good food and you were full and you were excited. And they go, Lord, evermore give us this bread. yes. That's exactly right. We want full bellies. But Jesus was not fooled by their sudden display of devotion. He knew their hearts. He knew what their true motives was. He knew what they were really desiring. And so as we've covered the last weeks in John chapter 6, Jesus has been lovingly teaching them exactly what they needed to hear. He wasn't teaching them what they wanted to hear. He was teaching them what they needed to hear. And he's been teaching them about the true bread, the real bread, 
the, the spiritual bread that could satisfy their soul. They were looking for bread like, the, like their fathers had eaten man in the wilderness. Oh, this is so spiritual. This is good. And Jesus like, yes, they ate that and they died. I want to give you something that you can have your sins pardoned for all of eternity and your guilt is all gone and I want to heal your hearts. I am the bread of life. Get your eyes off of the bread that uh, satisfies your stomach for a couple hours and get your eyes on me. I am what you need. And anyone who eats of this bread will never hunger, will never thirst, is a spiritual um, application. Like your soul will be satisfied. For all of eternity, you will be know the goodness of God. What Jesus is saying to every person down through history. The, the truth of Jesus Christ does not change with time. He is still just as much the bread of life today as He was 2,000 years ago. He is still the only thing that can satisfy today just as much as He was 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is teaching every person, the greatest need you have is not physical provisions. The greatest need you have is not a political change. That's what they were looking for, was, a, uh, was physical bread in a political kingdom. You don't need another experience. You don't need another miracle. You don't need another sign. What you need is Jesus Christ. You need the life that comes from the bread of life. Right? Isn't, is not that what Jesus is saying? The life that Jesus is talking about is not a more enjoyable human life or a, uh, or a, a uh, uh, financial prosperity or just you know people like you and things go easy. No, Jesus is talking about eternal life. He's talking about everlasting life. Something that does not deal with the realms of this earth but deals with something that is heavenly that cannot be seen with physical eyes. By the way, Jesus desires to save every man. This is an any man gospel that Jesus is preaching. If anyone will come and eat me, whosoever eateth of me, everyone can have that. And Jesus, but they're like, they were being confused. They were murmuring against Jesus. How can you say you're the bread of life? How can you say you're the bread that comes down from heaven? Jesus says, well, you got to eat me and drink me. you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, and we need to understand that Jesus was speaking in a spiritual sense. By the way, our text that we read this morning, he said, um, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I'm not speaking in a literal sense, I'm speaking in a spiritual sense. He's saying, without consuming the body of Jesus Christ, there's no spiritual life. If you don't eat and you don't, if you don't eat of Jesus' flesh and drink of His blood, you are not going to have spiritual life. Now, as we went over just a little bit last week, we need to understand, Jesus is speaking in a spiritual sense. False religion gets their ideas of what they call the Eucharist or transubstantiation, which is the idea of when you take a mass, which is why we do not have mass in Baptist churches, uh, that you are physically eating the body and the blood of Jesus Christ so you can receive forgiveness of sins. That is a gross misunderstanding. That is an abuse of this text. Okay, for these reasons. First of all, what the Bible calls the Lord's Supper has not been instituted. That isn't until John chapter 13. Jesus hasn't even instituted that yet here in this text. Number two. Jesus here is addressing himself to unbelievers who partook of the Lord's Supper. The saved disciples. 
the church. Jesus had already started his church in Matthew chapter 16. The church partook of it, okay? The Lord's Supper is for saints, not unregenerate sinners. Third, the eating and drinking here are spoken of for order of salvation. Jesus said, if you do not eat, you do not drink, you're not going to have eternal life. The eating and drinking at the Lord's table are for those who already have been saved. It's to put in remembrance. And so Jesus is not speaking about an ordinance here whatsoever. He is speaking about what is necessary to have faith. Because he uses the same things, whoever believeth in me shall have eternal life. Basically, but just saying you believe in God is different than actually believing in God. He says there has to be a partaking of God, a partaking of His Word in you. And Jesus is also referring to this, to the necessity of the blood sacrifice. That's why Hebrews tells us, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Jesus' blood was shed once for all. And it's sufficient to pay the price of every sin for all time. And the sin of every man. What Jesus is teaching them is, even though you're Jewish, even though you've eaten of the physical bread, even though you followed me and maybe some of you have been healed by me, you have to believe in me. You have to receive me. But as many as received him... To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Sounds a whole lot like eating flesh and drinking blood, right? That's, he's talking about something spiritual there. He's using the language of consumption. If you have living faith, you're going to partake of Jesus. His sacrifice is what you're going to believe in for salvation. If you're not trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're not saved. Because the blood is only what can cover your sin. Church can't do that. Baptism can't do that. Good works can't do that. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross that is alone sufficient to cover our sin and to remove our guilt for all of eternity. Jesus has been teaching some of the most beautiful, some of the most profound truths in all of God's Word. He loved them so much He sent His only Son to the earth to bring spiritual life to sinners on their way to hell. And He said, if anyone will come to Me, if if the Father draws, they'll come to Me. If you'll believe My words, you will come to Me. If you'll believe what I'm saying, you'll come and you can have that life, but you have to believe. It's any person. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for every sinner that sinned. But you have to willingly come to Jesus. No man can do that for you. You have to do that. But while this is an amazing message of grace and truth, amen? It hasn't this been an, uh, an amazing series of the love and the grace and the mercy of God that we don't deserve eternal life, but He's willingly to give that to us if we will simply believe in Him? Not everyone was excited or thrilled with the nature of the kingdom that Jesus was talking about with the nature of the mission that Jesus had come. Uh, Not everyone was excited. Many of those who had followed Jesus up to this point are now offended, right? Isn't that what we saw? But interesting, many, verse number 60, many therefore of His disciples. God's Word refers to this multitude as His disciples. 
The disciples, the meaning of the word disciple can mean someone who's following. It's, it's used often to refer to the twelve, to the apostles. But the actual meaning of the word is a pupil, a learner. Okay, can I tell you this? They had been learning of Jesus over the past months. Multitudes had been following Him. They had been in close proximity to Jesus. Uh, they had spent time with Him. They had seen Jesus meet their needs. I have to believe that there were people in this multitude that had been healed by Jesus. Because He said He healed all their sicknesses. And if a multitude seeking Him, it would just make sense, right? That there were some of those who Jesus had healed who had experienced the touch of Jesus' hand. And if, if, not, if not, at least they had seen it. We know that. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, they had seen it. And most likely, many of these people had been touched by the hand of Jesus. They had personally eaten of the loaves. They'd been hungry. Jesus had multiplied the loaves. The disciples had carried it to them. Where this meat came from? From a little boy's lunch. I don't want to meet that little boy. No, no, no. Jesus think, gave thanks for it and multiplied it. Jesus did that. Give me more. They had stuffed themselves bordering on the edge of ungodliness on the bread and the fish that Jesus had provided for them. They, were, they, were, they had enjoyed the excitement. They had enjoyed the novelty of this teacher who preached in a different way than the scribes and the Pharisees. He taught with authority. He taught them the Word of God. They, this newness of, the, of this Jesus teacher, I mean, this was exciting to them. This was uh, alluring to them. They had enjoyed it. They were more than willing, oh yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm learning of Jesus. This is great. But when they were confronted with Jesus' demand to believe on Him for eternal life, they flinched. They recoiled. Uh, I don't know about this, Jesus. They began, the Bible says they began to murmur. Isn't that what it says there? Verse number 61. The disciples were murmuring. They were grumbling. There was discontent. They were saying, who does He think He is? What is He saying this? Um, the demands of Jesus was not what they had wanted to hear. And they go, this is a hard saying. Now, the word hard does not mean obscure. It means offensive. It means harsh, rough, objectionable. It wasn't that they had misunderstood what Jesus was teaching them. Maybe they hadn't grasped the whole idea of it, but it wasn't that they said, we just have no clue what you're talking about. They were saying this, we don't like what you're talking about. That's not the direction we want to go. That's not what we want to hear. That, that, that's, uh, that's grating to us. That's hard. That's harsh. Jesus, how can you be so dogmatic? One man said this, it's not that they found the language of Christ so obscure as to be unintelligible, but what they heard was so irreconcilable with their own views that they would not receive it. Jesus, that's not what we want to hear. They had followed Jesus expecting to see miracles. They had followed Jesus expecting to see the political earthly kingdom of the Messiah start to overthrow those terrible Romans who had, and humiliate them and destroy them who had done so much. 
But when Jesus started talking about a kingdom they could not see, a kingdom that required a heart change, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what we signed up for, Jesus. That, that's, not what, that's not what we came here for. We don't want to hear more about this. Tell us about the kingdom and we're fine. Tell us about how good things are going to be in the future, we're fine. But don't tell us about believing. Don't talk to us about surrender. They'd been excited pupils when they were hearing the things that excited them, that they agreed with. But they were not interested in allowing the teachings of Jesus to change them. They wanted Jesus to agree with them. They did not want to conform to the teaching of Jesus. In the minds of the multitude, it's almost like our modern dating culture. They enjoyed being with Jesus. They enjoyed the healings and the free meals and the excitement of something new. But when the time for commitment came, this isn't really working out the way I thought it would. Uh, maybe we're not a good match. I, I really don't like this idea. Uh, I'm, and as the discontentment, as the resistance begins to mount, Jesus addresses them again. And remind Go back to John chapter 2. He knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus was not confused by what was going on. He was not misreading the situation. He was perfectly aware of what was going on in the hearts and, in the, and their intents and their motives. He knew exactly what was taking place. And modern religious thinking, as these people begin to back up, Jesus, that's hard. Would have said, oh, I'm so sorry that offended you. Let's change the subject. Whatever your interpretation is, I'm sure we can agree to disagree. Isn't that what you hear bandied about in re under the name of religion? Jesus would have never contradicted anyone. Uh, Jesus loved everyone. We shouldn't have conflict on religious matters. This type of thinking lets people continue on their way to hell unchecked. Jesus didn't apologize for anything that He said. Jesus didn't back off the issue. He knew if they did not accept what He was saying now, there was no way they were going to accept what was coming down the road. He says, does this offend you? Verse number, does, verse number 61, the, we actually get our English word scandalize from that Greek word. It's, uh, it's almost a tr uh, transliteration of the Greek word to scandalize. Are you humiliated by this? Are you shocked by what I've said? If you're, if you're shocked by what I've said now, what do you think, what are you going to do when you see the Son of Man ascend up to where He was before? Well, what is Jesus talking about there? Is that a good question? Okay, what does He mean by that? Well, how did Jesus ascend back up to the Father? Number one, He ascended up through the cross. Number two, He ascended up without establishing an earthly kingdom. He established His church, which does not have the promises that God gave to Israel. The promises that God gave to Israel of the coming kingdom are still in place, and Israel will enjoy those in the millennial kingdom. But He is telling the people, 
if this offends you, what I've told you about believing in me, what do you think is going to happen when you see your Messiah naked, hung to an open shame on a Roman cross, who you think he's supposed to overthrow the Romans? And yet Jesus Christ came for the purpose of dying on that cross. The prophecy from Genesis chapter 3, thou shalt bruise his, thou shalt bruise his heel and he shall bruise thy head. There's all, that's the only capital punishment where the heel is bruised was crucifixion. In Genesis at the fall of man, God's plan was already in place for the salvation of man. And His plan was that anyone who believes on Him will be saved. Even though the Scripture foretells of the suffering of Jesus, read Isaiah 53, read Psalm 22, to the Jewish mind, it was unthinkable that the Messiah would suffer shame, that the Messiah would die. They were going to rule in glory. They were going to rule in power. These dreaded, terrible Romans were going to bow at their feet. They were going to have the glory and the prestige of David and Solomon. The idea of the cross was humiliating. It was scandalous. Only the worst criminals would die on a cross. The cross was considered such a horrible death that a Roman citizen was not allowed to die the death of a cross unless they were convicted of treason. That was the only way a Roman citizen could die on the cross. It was considered so horrible, so torturous. Yet that's how the Messiah chose to deal with sin. Fierce Peter tells us, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead should sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. The cross of Christ is beautiful and powerful to those who believe. We sing the old rugged cross, saved by the blood of the crucified one. But to the world, it's offensive. It's humiliating. It's foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. I, I can't believe that God's Son would die on a cross. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Jesus is telling him, this is, only the be this is only the beginning point of following me. I am the bread of life. I am here to accomplish the will of the Father, not your plans for me. I am here to bring eternal life. And so Jesus offered them understanding again. He goes, my words are spirit. My words are life. Don't you understand what I'm telling you? Can you hear the, the passion and the love in Jesus' voice? My words are spirit. They are, they are life. Jesus didn't change anything that He had said. He just put more light on it. Jesus had said everything perfectly. He had told them exactly what they needed to hear. And He is emphasizing again and again that he's not talking about the physical eating of his body and the drinking of his literal blood. He's talking about spiritual life. He's giving them the words of the Spirit. The, words, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He says, it's the Spirit that quickeneth. It's the Spirit that gives life. By the way, this is why at Community Baptist Church we make such a big deal about the preaching of the Word of God. And we put such an emphasis on proclaiming the gospel. If you read, were in your Bible reading with us, you read Isaiah 58 where it says, Cry aloud, spare not, 
Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Okay, there's a, I'm not preaching loud just because I like screaming. I'm preaching loud because the Bible commands us, lift up your voice. Cry out. An old preacher said this, what is needed is less anecdotal preaching. Less rhetorical embellishments. Less reliance on logic. And more direct, plain, pointed, simple declaration and exposition of the Word itself. Sinners will not be saved otherwise. How do people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? It is through the Word of God. It is through the Spirit that quickeneth. There's a reason we put an emphasis on the preaching of God's Word. Because God speaks through His Word. Many people are fine with Bible stories, with the ideas of the Bible, but it has to go deeper than that. There has to be life that comes from that. The Word of God is life, and when it is declared, the Spirit of God speaks through the Word, and you're going to either say yes or no to God. When the Spirit speaks through His Word, you will say yes, or you will say no to God, because it is the Spirit that quickeneth. God is at work when His Word is declared. And Jesus has declared His Word perfectly. He's the Son of God. Every word He spoke was the Word of God. But there were still issues. Right? The people, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? I don't know if we want to hear this anymore. Jesus knew the real issue was not the difficulty of His words, but the hardness of their hearts. The real issue was not the difficulty of His words, but the response of their hearts. He knew their hearts. He knew the issue was they had rejected the cost of discipleship. They had not believed the words He had spoken. It says that there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were which believed not and who should betray Him. And He said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto Me except it were given unto him of My Father. Now wait a second, what does that mean? They couldn't come to God unless they believed His words. Because those that the fathers had given to Jesus are those that believed His words. How do you come to Jesus? You believe the Word of God. It wasn't that Jesus was closing out anyone. He was saying, you're not believing. And if you don't believe, you can't come. You can't come to Jesus without believing on His words. You can't come to Jesus on your terms. You have to believe in order to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus is very clear the reason they were not coming was not because they were not of the elect or because they were not drawn to the Father. The reason they were not coming was because they hadn't believed. They had heard the words, but they hadn't believed. And the true nature of their hearts was exposed by the piercing words of Jesus Christ. And many of the professed disciples of Jesus Christ, oh yeah, I'm a disciple. Oh, I love following Jesus. They walked away. A man said, this, this moment represents a decisive turning point for the crowds in Galilee. A year from now, as the Pass Passover is celebrated once more in Jerusalem, the crowds that said, feed us bread, are going to cry, crucify Him, crucify Him. 
those who had excitedly crossed the Sea of Galilee seeking for Jesus, are forsaking Jesus. They went back. They cast backwards. They left behind. They ceased to be a follower. They walked away. They had listened to Jesus' teaching. They had seen the miracles. They had eaten the bread. But they walked away unchanged. Jesus didn't call out to them and go, wait a second, let me say that a little better. Wait a second, I, I want to, give me another chance to say that the, uh, a way that you could, would maybe be a little appealing. I didn't mean to be so divisive. Please come back. Now I can tell you this, that the heart of Jesus was broken. That he was grieving over everyone that walked away. But how did Jesus respond to the multitudes leaving? He turns to the twelve and goes, will you also go away? Do you want to walk away too? Because what Jesus had said was not changing and is not changing. And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it has to be His way. Not on your terms. Jesus is not changing His words for any of us. It's the question of whether we're going to follow Him or whether we're going to not. Peter answered the disciple, answered for the disciples. He goes, Lord, that's important right there. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? Now, we give Peter a lot of grief sometimes for opening his big mouth and getting himself in trouble. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He was speaking for everyone but Judas. He thought he was speaking for Judas, but he was speaking for everyone but Judas. No doubt it was devastating to the disciples to see others walk away. We never like to see one, someone turn their back on Jesus and walk away. No doubt um, there was probably some not very nice things directed from the multitudes toward Jesus and His disciples. Only fanatics and crazies are going to follow this guy. Come on, this is not, this is not what it's supposed to be. Most likely they had viewed the multitudes as, hey, this is the beginning of the kingdom. Man, this is exciting. They had expected it too. But as they watched the multitudes melt away and their dreams of glory and political victory were dashed in tiny pieces, I have to believe Satan was in their ear whispering as he is, all these people can't be wrong. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you need to rethink some things. But when the piercing question of Jesus confronted them, Peter realized, we don't have a choice. There's no choice here. Where else can we turn? You are the only one that has the words of eternal life. Peter's saying, I've, I've tried Judaism. And it left me hungry. It left me empty. I've, I've tried being a good person. I've tried doing that. And I've tried enjoying life. And it left me empty. It left me hungry. But because I've tasted of you, I'm full. And because I've tasted of you, I am satisfied. Jesus, the very words that the multitude, has, that, that the multitude rejected are what drew me to you. Does everybody see the difference? He said, thou hast the words of eternal life. What did the multitude say? That's a hard saying. Come on, Jesus. No, we don't. But it's saying, 
No, that's a beautiful saying. No, that's the words of eternal life. You, that's what you have. And I'm going to follow you. What had attracted others repelled others. And the same thing is true today, that what attracts others it, it repels some. But it's because Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. You will not find spiritual life anywhere else than in Jesus Christ. Anywhere but Christ leads to eternal death and eternal separation from God. Peter and the other disciples, with the exception of Judas, had believed. And they were convinced. They were sure. He said, believe. We, verse number 69. And we believe. We've completely entrusted ourselves. It's a second, per, second perfect act of indicative. We have already believed and we continue believing. Jesus, we've already made our choice and we're not changing. We've believed, and now because we believed, we're sure. Okay? To come to Jesus, you have to believe. And then once you believe, the Holy Spirit moves in. And once you believe, God gives you His Word and you understand some more things and you are confident in it. God's not going to prove anything to you until you're willing to believe what He's already said. But once you, once you believe His Word, you're going to be sure. Once you believe His Word, you're going to be confident. We know because we've experienced you, Jesus, there's, there's nothing, we're going to learn and we're going to continue to learn, but there's nothing else for us. We believe and sure that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then it talks about Judas for a second. Can I tell you this? Jesus was not fooled by Judas either. He already knew that he accepted the statement of faith from the other 11 disciples. But here Jesus is saying, I don't accept the statement of faith from Judas. Because Jesus knew what was in hearts. Jesus wasn't fooled by anyone. Okay, so we have a multitude walking away from Jesus. Right? This is a hard saying. We don't want this. We have... 12, well, 11 plus Judas, but we have 11 disciples saying, we believe and sure those very words that you gave us, we're not going anywhere, Jesus. We can't go anywhere. What's the difference? Why did some reject Jesus while others continued to follow Jesus? More importantly, what will make you follow Jesus without turning back? Well, those who had rejected the words of Jesus walked away from Jesus. While those who had believed the words of Jesus were increasingly devoted to Him. Those who had rejected the words of Jesus, they would not believe. The reason the multitude walked away was because they had not believed the words of Jesus. They were excited about Jesus. They were excited about Jesus doing things for them. They had seen miracles. They had seen things. But they had not believed the words of Jesus. To follow Jesus, you must believe His words. There are many people who have touched the Word of God, who hold a Bible in their hands every Sunday, who have experienced some level of the blessings of God. God's answered my prayers, and I've seen God do some things in my life. They've heard the words of God. They've heard the Gospel, maybe. But yet they still walk away. I wish that every person who's visited Community Baptist Church was still coming. 
I wish that those who have attended a length of time were still coming. There are some who have joined the church and have walked away. I wish that weren't true. The truth is that many, many, not just from Community Baptist Church, this is by no means, but from churches that have preached the gospel straight, there have been many, many that have walked away. And sometimes it's, they're not walking away from the Word of God, they're walking away from a specific person because there's a preacher that comes that is not preaching the Word of God. And in that case, you should walk away. In that case, you should leave. If there, is a, if there is something that is unbiblical going on, there are times that takes place, all right? I'm, I'm not discounting that at all. But there are many, many people who come and they hear the Word of God and they hear the Word preached and they walk away. There's a very mistaken idea in Christianity that if we could just say it better... If we could just soften the message a little bit, so if we just had the right approach, I mean, so many more people would come. If I do not declare the whole counsel of God because I'm afraid of offending someone, I'm going to stand before God and give an account of that. Because... I would much rather offend someone with the Word of God than have someone leave this church thinking they're following Jesus and when they have not been confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ. If many disciples rejected Jesus who only spoke the words of God, don't be surprised when someone walks out of church. Don't be some surprised when you try to invite someone to church and says, I'm not interested in that. I've tried religion. I don't have... Because the hard sayings of Jesus don't end at salvation. There's the sayings of Jesus, you must come to me and I'm the only one of life. And if you don't believe the Word of God, you're not going to heaven. But Jesus also said this, does this offend you? What are you going to do down the road? Jesus has said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up, my, take up his cross and follow me. For what is the profit of man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It breaks my heart. But the reason why people stop following Jesus and walk away is because they don't believe His Word. The reason why people walk away is because they don't believe the Word of God. They agree with some biblical ideas. They may enjoy the preaching. They may enjoy uh, the music so long as nothing has to change. But when Jesus Christ confronts them with truth and tells them, no, you must do this. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No, if you're going to be saved, your life belongs to me and I have a say in what you listen to and I have a say in what you do and I have a say in every part of your life. In fact, I am in control of every part of your life. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a hard saying, Jesus. That's what the Word of God says. You know, I, I'm okay up to this point, but that's too much. To follow Jesus, you must believe His words. There's no other way. When you reject part of God's Word, it's only a matter of time until you physically follow your heart. If you say, I ex I'm good here, that part, 
no thank you. I'll just, the Bible is not a buffet. You don't get to pick which parts you like. It's all or nothing. If someone says, oh, I believe in God, but not, come on, preacher, not that part. Can I ask this? What have you really believed? Have you believed your ideas of God? Or are you believing the Word of God? Because those who walk away from Jesus, it's because they have not believed the words of God. Is not that what Jesus tells us in this text? But those who have believed in Jesus Christ won't walk away because there's nowhere else to go. Now, we do have to say this. That doesn't mean you're not going to understand. That doesn't mean you're going to understand everything. That doesn't mean you're never going to struggle as a Christian. These very disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they realized what was happening across, they forsook Jesus and fled. Peter, who had just said, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Jesus who? I never knew Him. But they came back. And when they saw the resurrected Christ, they never doubted again. They never gave up. Yes, it doesn't mean if you believe in the words of Jesus Christ, you're never going to struggle. But it does, it does mean this, that he, he ha those who have come to the Father, He's lost none of them. That you're going you're gonna to come back to following Christ. And when you keep following Christ, even when others leave, you're going to keep doing it because there's nowhere else to go. There's only life in the words of Jesus. Can I tell you what? The only way of salvation is found in the words of God. There's no other way of salvation. There's no other way to be made right with God. Also, the only way to follow Jesus Christ and to walk with Him as a believer is found in the words of God. Once again, that's why I make a big deal about preaching. That's why I make a big deal about preaching from the King James Bible. Because it is the very words of God for the English-speaking people. Okay? You can, we could, if you have questions about that, give me an opportunity after the service to talk about that. There's obviously not time this morning. But there's a reason. Because the words of God are important. They are life. And they help us. The other reason I believe in preaching is it's because what Jesus has commanded us to do. He said, For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but in us which are saved, it is the power of God. There's a reason I believe in the local church. There's a reason that we, we deal with the Bible. There's a reason because that's what God has set up. And if I believe His Word, then I believe that the local church still works in the 21st century. And that preaching is the way that people come to Jesus Christ still in the 21st century. Because God's Word hasn't changed. And because what God has said still works. And if I believe His Word, I'm going to follow Him even against the greater thinking of the world. That God's Word still calls us to holiness and still calls us to living for Him because His Word doesn't change and either I'm going to believe His words or I'm not. And if I believe His words, I'm going to follow Him. You know why some preachers quit? They stopped believing that God's Word worked. They stopped believing God's Word applied to them. I have decided to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to believe His Word. There are even some who are Judases, though. They know the difference. 
they're not willing to pay the cost. They know the difference between the real thing and the fake thing. Jesus wasn't fooled by Judas. Judas wasn't fooled by Judas. It wasn't like Judas came suddenly said, I can't believe I'm doing this. I, had, I, I, I believed in Jesus and all of a sudden I'm... No, he knew in his heart that he wasn't saved. He knew in his heart that something wasn't right. But he liked the taste of his idea of Jesus. And he knew what it would take to truly follow Jesus. He says, that's not worth the cost. I'm okay with this. And he walked with the disciples for a while. But it was only a matter of time until his actions followed his heart. And he walked away from Jesus. What was the problem with Judas? He didn't believe in Jesus' words. He said, he'd, the multitude said, this is a hard saying, we can't have it. The 11 disciples said, we believe and are sure. Judas said, oh yeah, I believe. I'm good with this. I can have this and this at the same time. Doesn't work that way. Because Judas, even though he didn't admit it, was really part of the multitude. There's really only two groups. Those who believe Jesus' words and those who don't. So here's the question. Do you believe God's words? Do you believe every part of His words? Are you willing to follow Jesus? No turning back. There's one way to do that. Whatever it says, I will do. Whatever it says, let it change me. Then you follow Jesus. Everything else is a sham. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, for your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, there are things that we don't understand. There are things that we struggle with. But Lord, I pray if there's one here who's never truly been saved, that today would be the day that they say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Lord, if there's a Christian here who's struggling, help them to surrender to Your Word so that we can follow You. Help us, Lord, during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Take a moment as the piano begins to play. The song is, I have decided to follow Jesus. Spirit, they are life. All you have to do is come.